Welcome back to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Marcel Louis-Jacques, and we are going to get you ready for Monday Night Football, Bears-Patriots tonight. We're going to start off with a segment with the GOAT, NFL Nation's own Patriots reporter, Mike Reese. Mike, thanks for joining us tonight. Marcel, great to talk with you from a overcast and wet Foxborough, Massachusetts, but I don't think it's going to rain during the game. Maybe slight showers at some point, but shouldn't be a huge factor. So maybe slight showers, maybe a slick field. Sounds like uh, not going to be a downpour during the actual event, but setting up wet conditions for Mac Jones' return. What else besides the weather, Mike, can we expect from Jones tonight in his first game back? Well, everyone is asking how Bill Belichick's going to approach the quarterback position tonight uh, with Mac Jones active for the first time since sustaining that high left ankle sprain on September 25th. And here's what I would tell you, Marcel. Like, Belichick hasn't come out and said, Mac's our starter and he's going to go all the way. In fact, it would not surprise me if Mac starts, but we also see a little bit of Bailey Zappi, the rookie behind him, and here's the thought process is if that happens, they have a game on a short week against the Jets, big division game next Sunday on the road. And they're thinking two games in six days, Mac coming on, you know, off this serious injury, if they can ration his work, that would be an ideal scenario. And we'll see if they can, if that's the way it unfolds. Bill Belichick always playing 3D chess while the rest of us are playing checkers on Microsoft. Speaking of Bill Belichick, though, a win tonight is number 325 for his career, including the playoffs. It breaks a tie with Bears founder George Hallis for the second most wins of a head coach in NFL history. Mike, you know Bill. Even if he doesn't outwardly say it, how important is that number to him? Marcel, I think it's really important to him, and, and here's why I say that. And You're right. He's never said that, but I look at it this way. He's devoted so much of his life to this game. You talk to people who were on that panel that chose the top players uh, for the 100-year celebration of the league. Bill Belichick was on that panel, and they say he put in more work probably than anyone in terms of watching film and trying to come up with a list for the top players of the first 100 years of professional football. So to me, for him to be part of this fraternity when you talk about Don Shula at 347 wins, George Hallis, 324, um, you know, the, the Curly Lambos, the Vince Lombardis, Andy Reid's up there now. It has to mean a lot to him. He, it, he wouldn't be human if it didn't mean a lot to him. Well, maybe he's one of us after all. If he is human, crack a little emotion. Uh, we've got one more for you here, Mike. What are your thoughts on what's been a upstart AFC East division i think a lot of people expected it to be a two maybe three horse race uh you know maybe two or three playoff teams in it at best but it seems like all four teams now will be lobbying for a playoff spot come december and january awesome story marcel i think everyone knew the bills were elite right so that's not a surprise Uh, but how about miami you know with mike mcdaniel a lot of people wondering could this style of coach work they go all in with tyreek hill Tua looks like a a sound plan with Chris Greer, the general manager, pulling the strings there. I think they're they're a big part 
of why this division has improved. And then add to that conversation the Jets. Don't think many people had them at this time as a five-win team. That defense and navigating life without their quarterback uh, for a stretch there. Very impressive work by them. And I think the Patriots are the Patriots. They're, they're pulling up the rear right now. Um, and that's a result of really what the Dolphins and the Jets have done. So credit to them, right? Absolutely. Look, it's been a fun division to watch. Obviously, the Bills are the team to beat, maybe in the entire NFL. But uh, New England, New York, Miami, no slouches either. Once again, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Marcel-Louis Jacques for Sarah Spain here with the GOAT ESPN's Patriots reporter, Mike Reese. Mike, thank you so much for your time tonight, man. Have a blast out there. Thanks, Marcel. To give us the other half of tonight's game, let's bring in David Kaplan, co-host of the Cap and J. Hood Show on ESPN 1000 in Chicago. You can follow him at the Cap Man. You know, Cap, I listen to a lot of local radio when I'm in the car and when I get a chance, and uh, it still feels like the general vibe around Justin Fields is depends on who you ask, both for fans and for media. Let's get your temperature on how far along we can be currently in understanding what we've got in Justin Fields. Well, and it's great to be with you both. Look, Justin is not without culpability on some of the struggles with this offense. That said, that since ESPN began tracking quarterback pressures in the manner that they have since 2009, through six games, Justin is being pressured at 46.8% of his dropbacks. That's the most in the history of the National Football League. Mm. Since, again, they began tracking this 09 to 22. So that means almost half the time he drops back and he has got PTSD wondering when he's going to get his head kicked in again. Then add in a lousy receiving core, Darnell Mooney, a nice player, on a really good team, he's a three. Here, he's got to be a one, and he's just not a one. Nobody other than him gets any separation. So you have a bad O-line, you got a bad receiving core, and then I went and watched tape with Olin Krutz, who it was a what a educational process for me to sit there and watch a guy who's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday pick apart different things, and he is freezing this tape going, okay, that guy's wide open right there, seven yards. Why aren't you throwing the football? So there are times Justin holds it too long, doesn't take the easy throw, wants to make the spectacular, and gets hit. So there's – Blame to go around. And speaking of that receiving core, Nikhil Harry is set to make his Bears debut tonight against the team that drafted him out of Arizona State. Go Devils. But what do you think Nikhil Harry can bring to a Chicago offense that clearly needs more playmakers? Well, this is a huge opportunity for him. Now, Bill Belichick drafted this kid 32nd overall and gave him away for a seventh-round draft pick. So that doesn't engender great confidence that the Bears have picked up the next Jerry Rice. Because why would New England, who needs receivers, give this kid away? He's a very good blocker for a wide receiver. But that's not what the Bears need. They need a receiver that can make plays. We're going to find out. He's a big, strong kid. So if he can make some plays in the intermediate part of the passing game, he certainly will be a welcome addition. They cut Amir Smith-Marset because of repeated mistakes, whether that was a penalty that wiped out a Justin Fields 52-yard touchdown run 
or a drop over the middle that would have been a first down against the Washington Commanders. He self-destructed, so they changed it out. This kid's coming off a surgery. Let's hope he's going to be a good player. But I don't think anyone here is counting on him being a number one option. It's Spain and Fitz, Marcel Louis Jacques in for Fitz tonight. We're talking to David Kaplan at the Capman is where you can follow him on Twitter. What do you see in tonight's matchup that concerns you most? Bears' inability to stop the run. I think they're 31st in the league. And two weeks ago, they were 32nd in the league, so they haven't gotten much better. Progress. And then I don't. <laughs> exactly. And I don't know how they're going to block Matthew Judon. Mm. And if they do have to keep a back in, put in an extra tight end, an extra offensive lineman, and chip and try and stop him, how are you handling the rest of the guys? Now, there will be a change in the offensive line, I think. I believe Sam Mustafer is going to the bench. Lucas Patrick's going from left guard to center, which is what they originally signed him at when they got him from the Packers last offseason. And then they'll move Michael Schofield in at left guard, and so you'll have a revamped offensive line. I'm just not sure that's going to make a bunch of difference against a really good defensive unit. So stopping the run, if you can stop the run, you might be able to hang in this football game. If they run it down your throat and then Mac Jones play actions you to death, it could be a long night. Before we let you go, Cap, uh, my approach to this season has been to assume the team is going to be bad, act like I don't care, and then get extremely angry during every game when they do dumb <laughs> things and lose. Like, I know what's coming and I can't stop myself. So help me find one thing to watch for over the course of this season to look for progress, something to be looking at that's going to matter next season and beyond because I know a whole lot of stuff's going to be gone and changed once Ryan Poles actually gets to do something here. That is an awesome question, Sarah. So here's what I would say to you. To watch and see if we look like a clean operation. When Matt Nagy was the head coach, how many times did you see the Bears take a timeout and then get a delay a game (laughs) coming out of a timeout? or Bears challenge, but they lose the challenge, and it was so clearly obvious they were going to lose the challenge, or you're going for it on fourth and inches, false start penalties. It would drive you nuts. So watch and see, do they actually look like a clean operation, and they just need more talent? And then the other thing, obviously, is to evaluate Justin as best we can. Right. Well, I will do my best. No promises. Likely there will be screaming at the television. Always love having you on. Thanks for the insight, Cap. It would be fun to watch a game with you. I want to do that. (laughs) Okay, let's plan on it. (laughs) Thanks, Cap. Have a great one. Good stuff, as always. Monday Night Football Preview brought to you by Progressive Insurance. For a job you'll love, visit Progressive.com slash careers. That game about to start. Also, Manning cast tonight. Quite a lineup. Barack Obama. Bill Burr and Vince Vaughn going to be on with Peyton and Eli. So if you get sick of uh, whatever action's happening on the main screen, check that out. Uh, we're going to get into some NFL good take, hot take coming up next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Uh, I think this is supposed to make me happy when I hear it, but during this particular season when my team is as bad as they are, it just makes me sad that I was never alive and old enough to like really appreciate a Super Bowl with the Bears. I did go to the one that they lost to the Colts, but uh, those were the days, Marcel. 
What a Those brutal Super days. Bowl that was, just overall. It was pretty ugly. Uh, although Devin Hester's kickoff return to start the game, I feel like I literally blew like a vein out of my forehead. It was so exciting. It was True. just so rad. <laughs> I think that's got to be like a – that's an easy top ten Super Bowl moment. Yeah, of just out time. of control. So good. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Marcel-Louis Jacques, filling in for Fitz. You can follow him at Marcel underscore LJ. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Bears and Patriots underway on Monday Night Football. Speaking of the uh, Week 7 NFL, we uh, we had our Pick'em Challenge. Fitz is not here tonight to be excited, but he got two of three correct. I feel good about that. He picked the Titans uh, minus two and a half over the Colts. Got that right. Picked the Chiefs minus two and a half over the Niners. Got that right. And unfortunately, that Chargers pick minus five and a half. The Seahawks. Woo! Geno Smith looking good and the Chargers struggling. But that two and one good enough to put Spain and Fitz in second right behind Greeny. Greeny's at 12, eight and one. We're at 11, nine and one. So uh, still very much in the mix there. Uh, Speaking of NFL, this is uh, a Monday, which means we go through the bloviating gas bags that surround us on this network and we decide whether they're giving good takes or hot takes. Boom! Hot take! Hot take! It's time to rate the takes of the day. Are they good takes? The season is over! (laughs) I mean, one game in! Or hot takes. This is why I called out and said Kirk Cousins is going to be the MVP. It's Good Take, Hot Take on Spain and Fitz. By the way, just uh, I want to point out that the uh, the good take there from Stephen A. was about how the Cowboys season was over after week one. And <laughs> things have, yeah, things have gone differently than we expected. <laughs> uh, let's listen to some more and see if they're good or hot, at least for now. On KJ and Max, ESPN NFL analyst Dan Orlovsky said something Stephen A. like about the Bucks. They're done, okay? Tampa's done. It's the worst run game in the NFL. Worst run game in the NFL. And they do it too much. So when your run game stinks and you run the football too much, then you're into a ton of third and longs. And guess what, Tampa? You're not good enough anymore to live in that world. Like two years ago, you were good enough because you had an all-world offensive line. And you had superstars across the board. And your perimeter players were studs. Godwin was playing like a stud. Evans was playing like a stud. Your number three was Antonio Brown. Gronk was still... You're not good enough anymore. Their defense is so undisciplined, man. Not four. Four weeks in a row now, we've watched this defense just gutted. So they're done. There's no way that you can trust that football team. They cannot play to the style that they are playing right now. Uh, they started off versus the 1-5 in five Panthers. Punt, 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 half, punt, turnover on downs, punt, field goal. So uh, good take or hot take? Uh, yeah, I think that's a good take. I think it's a good take. And I know we said so much about not being able to count out a Tom Brady team. But uh, I think that this is just a little too, little too much for the goat to overcome, and it's not, you know, some of it is his own doing. Yeah, and a lot of it is also that run game. And for Net, the expectations every week are that things will change. But 19 yards on eight carries against the Panthers, and it wasn't even just that—the short yardage opportunities where you expect him to get those first downs, he hasn't been able to. Third and one plays this season for Fournette. Minus three, minus one, minus one, minus one, zero, 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 three-yard run, five-yard run. Not going to get it done. That's a good take from Dan Orlovsky. All right, Keyshawn on his own show said this about Daniel Jones. 
It's not that Daniel Jones is going to get money out in the open market because he probably won't get a significant amount. Uh, it's probably best for the Giants to keep what they already have, who's growing, who's in the system, who's doing well. Why disrupt that and try to go get something new and shiny or whatever? Because he's better, he's better now than a quarterback that they would draft in college. And then in terms of free agent QBs, I don't know the free agent landscape, but like if you're not getting Aaron Rodgers in a trade or, you know, and you got to pay money and give up picks and do all of that, like what are you going after? Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, good, good take or hot take? No, that's a that's a good take. Uh, and I had, I had to deal with this with with Tua last year. You know, you're comparing him not to who you could have had. You have to compare him to who you who can you go get. get. Mm-hmm. And he's right, especially yeah. with Brian, with Brian Dable at the helm. Daniel Jones is looking better than ever. I think that you know at this rate he's earned himself another year. Maybe franchise tag him or give him a cheap two-year. Yeah, give him a look. I mean, I think also you can't base it off the past, but you look at this season, for instance, Matt Ryan's benched. Carson Wentz is going to be benched. Baker Mayfield's going to be benched. Russell Wilson's trash. Deshaun Watson suspended. Jacoby Brissett isn't any good. Mitch Trubisky's been benched. All these different quarterbacks in different places. It's not been pretty, and you got something that's working for now. So that's a good take. All right, Aaron Rodgers, Packers quarterback. Was their loss to the Commanders a good thing? Right, it does. I'm not. I'm not worried about this squad. In fact, this might be the best thing for us uh, this week. You know, nobody's going to give us a chance. Going to Buffalo on Sunday night football, the chance to get exposed. Shoot, might be the best thing for us. Uh, who's going to get exposed there? The Bills? Yeah. For, that, for you showing up? <laughs> that's what I wanted some clarity on. Like a chance the Bills get exposed? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I believe if you're Aaron Rodgers and you're at the point of saying this could be the best thing for us because this might be a trap game for a far better team. We'll sneak up on them because we're that bad. Uh, whew, that's a hot take. That loss was not the best thing for this team. You need some W's. String them together. Yeah, you're not going to convince me on that one. No, it, it's week seven. A loss isn't good anymore. This isn't yeah. week two and three. Like you need to be, you, you need to be starting to click, or at least showing signs of life. It's going to be very interesting to see what the future will be like for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, not just this season, but moving forward, uh, the way things have gone. An interesting conversation around him and Brady, and whether they've lost a bit of fire or lost belief from teammates. Keep talking about that. But now we'll switch gears. Tim Kirkshin on the World Series next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Marcel Louis Jacques in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. It's the 10th year of Progressive's Keys to Progress annual giveaway for veterans. This year, their goal is to gift a vehicle to at least one recipient in every state. Learn more at keystoprogress.com. We've got a World Series that's set. And if you had asked me early in the season, in the midst of a lengthy losing skid and not looking good, if the Phillies would have enough to get there, I would have said no. So Tim Kirkshen, our man, ESPN MLB analyst, tell me, how did they pull this off? How did they turn things around? Well, it's kind of corny, but they have great chemistry. They have great camaraderie. And they got something special going for them. I can't even explain what it is. My dad used to tell me, if you see enough weird things, strange things, odd things happen to a team, 
you start to think that there's something going on there. And that's what's happened certainly late in the season and now in October for the Phillies. Um, It's just been really fun to watch. They're a great group to be around. But most important, they fixed their bullpen, which was broken early in the season. They fixed their defense, which was broken early in the season. And they've got two really good starting pitchers in Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. Plus, they put the ball in play. They swing at the first pitch. They're really aggressive. And the guy hitting in the middle of the order right now, Bryce Harper, is the hottest hitter in the game. Mm. And he just had a series to remember in uh, against the Padres. Tim, the Astros have lost Garrett Cole. They lost George Springer and Carlos Correa. But they're back in the World Series for the fourth time in six years. How do they... How do they keep doing it? I, I feel like uh, Jesse Pinkman, you know, they can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> yes, they have a great organization. They draft and develop really well. And now they have the best pitching in the American League, and I'm not sure there's a close second. What they did to the Yankees in that series mm. was ridiculous. They held them to a 162 average. They struck out 50 batters in four games. They struck out 35% of the hitters that they faced. The starting rotation is so, so good, and yet the bullpen had 42 strikeouts in 33 innings in the postseason. That's how dominant the bullpen is. Every guy that that comes in to pitch for the Astros has way above average stuff and a really good idea what he's doing, and that's why the Yankees didn't have much of a chance, and that's why the Phillies certainly are up against just a devastating pitching staff. Tim Kirkshen's with us, Kirkshen underscore ESPN. Before we move back to the World Series, while you're on the Yankees, do you think that this finish affects how Aaron Judge will make his decision in this offseason? Um, <laughs> this is the third time question like <laughs> that we're going to get asked 3,000 yeah. times over the yeah. next you know, two months, and it's a good question. Um, yes, I think this will affect how Aaron Judge looks at things, but I'm not sure how it's going to affect him. He might say... We got unfinished business. I'm going to come back here and we're going to win here. Maybe the Yankees look at this and say, "Boy, we're in more trouble than I than we thought we were because the Astros are that much better than we are. Therefore, we have to make sure that Aaron Judge doesn't get away." So they're going to overwhelm him financially to make sure because they see well, the Astros are much better than us now. If we lose Judge, they're going to be demonstrably better. So this could affect everything that the Yankees do, the way they lost. It could affect how Judge, you know, where he signs, if he signs. This is this is going to be a crazy next two months for Judge and for the free agent market. Yeah, and it'll all start with Rizzo coming back to the Cubs, obviously. So that's going to be something they're going to have to. Poor <laughs> <laughs> Sarah. Yeah, now, okay, how about a how about a, a, an easy one here? A softball question about baseball. Who wins the World Series? Well, there are no easy questions this time of year. <laughs> I think this postseason has proven there are no easy questions. We had three 100-win teams go out before they even got to the LCS. But to answer your question, I really like the way the Phillies are playing. But the Astros haven't lost yet. They're 7-0. and They haven't lost, and Jose Altuve went through an 0-for-25 during all of that. And Jordan Alvarez, who is such a great hitter, really hasn't been at his best in this postseason, and they're still 7-0. and So I'm going to say the Astros are going to win this series because they have home field advantage, four home games to three, 
and because their pitching has been just sensational. I think this will be a great series, but um, I think the Astros are going to win. Tim Kirkshen is with us here. Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis-Jacques at Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. I'm not asking your opinion, and I certainly know the fans' opinion, or most fans. What would you say in general around the world of baseball, front offices, managers, players, the feeling is about this Astros team? Because the fans certainly haven't forgotten the cheating scandal. Do you think the rest of baseball looks at this team and still thinks about that? I think that certainly has gone away for the most part. Now, some players, some teams will always look at the Astros and say there's an asterisk next to them, whether anyone likes it or not, and we will never forgive them for that. That's how some people look at it. But I think most people, and maybe I'm wrong, I think most people in the media, I think most people in the game have moved on from this because it was done a long time ago. There has been sustained success since. And I know it was a bad thing to do, but just because you know it's coming doesn't guarantee that you're going to get a hit, hit a home run, win the game, anything else. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to under underestimate this, but I think most people have put this behind them. And but Except for the fans, of course, because wherever the Astros go, they still get booed pretty pretty heartily. Tim, can you finish this sentence for me? The Philadelphia Phillies will win the World Series if? Uh, They'll win the World Series if Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, their two best starting pitchers who can match up with anyone, including the two best pitchers on the Astros, make four starts and are really, really good in all four starts. That's the way the Phillies are going to win. I think they're going to find a way to score a few runs. I don't think they're going to hurt themselves defensively. But if those two guys are at their very best, and I mean those guys are really good, that's how the Phillies are going to win this series. Tim Kirchner is with us on Spain and Fitz. Tim, uh, you're always great at finding the smaller stories, too. We've got songs that are taking over the locker room. We've got Kyle Schwarber on a mechanical bull. We've got great nicknames. What's the uh, story from these two teams' playoff runs so far that you've most enjoyed? Um, I've just enjoyed the, the freewheeling nature of the Phillies. Again, I did their series against the Braves. And I saw absolutely no panic whatsoever. I saw a home crowd in Philadelphia that was ridiculous. It's one of the loudest outdoor baseball crowds I've ever heard in my life. I am convinced they won game three in part because in that first playoff game at home in 11 years, the crowd helped them beat the Braves. That's how crazy that day was. They're a fun group to be around. I mean, Bryson Stott, their shortstop, told me, remember, they went 17 days on the road, finished the regular season, went to St. Louis, went to Atlanta, 17 days. Bryson Stott, the shortstop, told me, I took every piece of clothing that I own, put it in my suitcase. It's all I have. I put it all in there to cover all 17 days, all my underwear, all my shirts, everything. When I got back home, there was nothing at home because it was all in my suitcase. They are not taking themselves too seriously, and yet they really love to play for each other, and they really love to play for Rob Thompson, the manager who took over after 49 games. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty incredible. It feels a little bit like that Eagles run when it comes to underdogs that find a way to go all the way. Looking forward to your coverage of the World Series. Thanks so much for the insight, Tim. 
My pleasure. Thanks. Always love talking to Tim Kirkshin. Always love hearing his insights. We'll get real into the World Series in the coming days. Maybe we'll even do a segment where some Astros fans try to convince us why we should root for their squad. It's going to take a hell of an argument for that one. It's Spain and Fitz. Marcel Louis-Jacques in for Fitz tonight. We'll get you updated on my Bears Monday Night Football. Also, some of your favorite underdog teams inspired by those Phillies. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Ooh, I'm feeling good so far. Monday Night Football starting off on the right note. And by that, I mean the Bears leading the Patriots 10-0. Justin Fields 5 for 6, 70 yards and a rushing touchdown. You love to see it. It's Spain and Fitz, Marcel Louis-Jacques, in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Saw the Goodyear blimp that said Justin Fields is a pimp. Uh, oh, man. I can't get too ahead of myself. Here's the thing, though, Marcel. My team sucks, and they're not supposed to be good, and the roster's not good, and they have no money, and Justin Fields has no weapons and no protection, and I'm still not sure about this coaching staff. So I celebrate in the moment. You can't freezing cold takes me. I know what's going to happen later, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to celebrate now. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. As someone who was disillusioned out of being a Raiders fan, I, I, I get it. Right, right. Like I, get, celebrate I can't just things. be sad all season long because I know what the inevitable result will be. I can at least enjoy the good parts, like a 10 nothing leader with the Pats on Monday Night Football. ESPN Raiders presented by Progressive Insurance. Hey, speaking of... NFL teams that have had some up and downs, ups and downs, I should say. Uh, Let's talk about the Dolphins. Let's talk about that return of Tua. There was a lot of, uh, I think, smart concern about him coming back this early and certainly in those moments in the game where he took some hits, but thankfully bounced right back up. Uh, What's the feeling in Miami about him coming back, uh, maybe aside from those who are just excited about the prospects of the team when he's out there? I I think, you know, first of all, it's always good to see your favorite team's starting quarterback, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, A return, right? But just the fact that the same person who started a game finished the game for the first time since (laughs) week three is considered, I think, a win here. But, uh, you know, Tua looked like, you know, the offense to start the game – definitely looked reminiscent of what we saw weeks one through three when they were first in points per drive, second in offensive EPA. But it it all just kind of fell off a cliff after the first three drives. They went touchdown, field goal, field goal, and then stagnated the rest of the way. And Tua very clearly had some rust that he he is going to have to shake off. Uh, The timing was off. We actually heard from head coach Mike McDaniel today who who admit that, yeah, look, our timing, our communication – led to an inability to put the ball in receivers' hands with room to, to run. It, it disrupted the yak offense, so the yards after catch offense. So it, it, that's to be expected, though. He hasn't seen full speed action since week three, since practicing. Or, you know, he, he hadn't had a full practice, full speed practice since week three. So I, I, I get it. I get it. And they've got the Lions coming up next, who are the worst defense in the NFL mm-hmm. statistically. That should so help. So if you're going to get right – there you go. That, Here's that a layup. should help. Um, he uh, struggled to put the ball in the wide receiver's hands, but did okay putting it in the defensive back's hands. The Steelers just couldn't hang on to him. There was like at least four would-be interceptions on that because of the timing issues for Tua. That presumably will improve, but... Here's a question for you. NFL's fifth best pass rush win rate for the Dolphins. The 10th highest blitz rate 
in the league. But they're 24th in sack rate, and they have the fourth fewest quarterback pressures through seven weeks. What's going on with the pass rush, especially considering the in- injuries in the secondary and, and, and the need for them to get that pressure up front? Yeah, you see, I, I, I think that – and I'm glad that all, you brought all the other stats up because when people look at sacks by themselves, it's one of the more misleading stats, uh, uh, defensive stats available. Uh, it shows that you finished the job, but it, it is not indicative of a successful – pass rush i'm willing to overlook you know pedestrian sack numbers if your win rate is there which it is for the dolphins or if and if your your pressures are there which they are not when, when you look at that i think they have it's something like 50 to 60 pressures i just found the stat earlier today but 22 of them came in one week against mm. josh allen when they're on the field for 90 snaps right so you know they haven't it's not a unit that has been pressuring the quarterback with any consistency despite winning their pass rushes. And then a large part of that, though, is quarterbacks are kind of – they're hip to the Dolphins' game at this point. They know the Dolphins, they want to be aggressive. They want to blitz. They, they're going to send their DBs. They're going to send their linebackers. They're, they're going to stack the line of scrimmage. So what opposing quarterbacks have done, they're getting the ball out quick. 2.7 uh, seconds average time to throw. It's the fifth fastest in the NFL. And because of that, you know, it's short passes underneath while Miami's secondary – you know, heels up. Uh, they're just completing easy passes and nickel and diming their way right. down the field. And so, you know, to an extent, you got to understand, like, you have to cut the pass rush some slack and say, like, all right, like, it's not really – you can only get there so fast. You know what I'm saying? But it, it defense is it, – it's complementary. It's, it's rush plus coverage. The coverage yeah. – has to hold up its end of the bargain. Right. And when and the it, secondary is healthier, it'll be easier for them to find that good balance there. Um, exactly. For sure. But the balance uh, when two is around is good. 4-0 when he starts, 0-3 when he doesn't. Uh, right now, that's the secret sauce, but we'll see as they continue to take on some tough teams going forward. It's Spain and Fitz. Speaking of tough teams, we thought the Chargers would be one. Man, Injuries are a big part of it, but what a disappointment it is again with that incredible quarterback that just, and it's not, I mean, he's not without fault, but uh, the injuries and everything else, the play calling, there's so many questions around this Chargers team. They lose to the Seahawks 37 to 23. Um, This is a Chargers team that has been snake bit and it happened again. Uh, JC Jackson left the field on a cart with a right knee injury. Mike Williams suffered an ankle injury. Um, it's been a, a really surprising outcome from the Seahawks. Geno Smith has been great. Kenneth Walker uh, had two rushing touchdowns. One of them was a 74-yarder. The defense uh, was really bad last week but had three sacks and two takeaways. Uh, they're just a much better team than most of us expected, and a lot of that comes from Geno. And Dan Rolovsky, I think, is right on KJ and Max talking about uh, most people are rooting for this story. What Gino has done has been incredible. We did the preseason game out there for them. It was Seattle, Chicago. And I just remember going to practice one day and I tweeted it out. I was like, Gino was throwing the absolute stripe out of the football today. And it wasn't even close to me, the Gino Smith-Drew Locke competition. It seemed like the Seattle Seahawks wanted Locke, but I was like, watch Gino throw. He's playing incredible football. And they're leading the division right now. Pete has done, obviously saw stuff in Gino in that team that we did not anticipate. But it's as good, if not the best story going in the NFL so Dan- Giants. Yeah, I mean, I have been rooting for Gino because I think anytime you're taken out of an opportunity by no fault of your own, which the punch to the face was, I, I want to see you get a shot to write your own story, and he's doing that right now. 
Yeah, he is. And you, you, we love a redemption story in the NFL. And you love to hear somebody talk their you-know-what afterwards, that, oh, yeah, you, they wrote me off, but I didn't write back. Uh, it, it's not – uh, it, it's not what I expected out of Seattle. I will happily tap mm-hmm. my chest and raise my hand. Be like, yeah, man, I, I wrote them off. I thought they were going to be mid. I thought that they are going to mess around and get two top ten picks uh, this year. At least I thought they'd have a top ten pick, but I thought it would be their own, not the, not the Broncos. So, uh, yeah, Seattle, no kidding. Look, Seattle, you, you got to feel pretty vindicated at this point. Uh, I, I want to see – it for a longer period of time before I just come out and say, you know, they found a new franchise quarterback. Right. Gino is him. Gino's him. Because, uh, you know, you, you got to think, okay, there's got to be some reason, right, why he hasn't been, you know, well, why he hasn't gotten another opportunity. I'll tell you what. They've got a tough matchup coming up. And it's not the Bucks in two weeks. It's the Giants next week. If I'd said that before the season started, I don't think you would have believed it. But... The Giants will be a test coming up next week. Then they've got Cardinals, Bucks, Rams, you know, Niners, Chiefs. They've got some really good teams on the schedule. So we'll get a chance to see just how good Geno and the Seahawks are, but much better than expected so far. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis Jacques in for Fitz. By the way, earlier in the show, we asked you in honor of the sixth seed Phillies, who started the season 22 and 29 and are now in the World Series. What's your all time favorite underdog team that won it all? couple of y'all said the Miracle on Ice team. Some of you said uh, the Cardinals in 2011, 0-3 Marlins. Uh, I like the Eagles when they actually wore the underdog masks. The Braves had a great comeback to win just last season. Uh, your Giants got mentioned a few times. You love those Giants. Uh, 97 Marlins. Uh, so there's a lot of good ones. You could check it out at Sarah Spain at Marcel underscore LJ uh, for some of those great underdog teams. Will the Phillies be one? Or will the Astros break the hearts of all of America outside of Houston? Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.